Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week, we are talking about getting the homestead and the household ready for winter. That's right. Winter is coming. We actually haven't had a freeze yet, which is unusual, but we've had a few 32 degrees. This morning was just not quite 32, just above it, but it's getting there, it's uh, getting cold, and it's time to put our stores up, get ready for winter, and uh, I think there's a few other good reasons to be Thinking stocking up and doing our preps. Stocking up, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Now, I think we're going into our ninth winter here in North Idaho. Mm, think so, yeah. And I don't think we've ever seen no frost by mid-October. Or no freeze. Well, no freeze. We've no seen, freeze. yeah. and we've, we've had a few light frosts. Well, and it's the first time this on this property, we're going into our fifth winter here, um, that we haven't had a freeze in September. So our whole summer has kind of moved back. Yeah, it really and did. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think we're going to like get all in this little lull here, this little <laughs> Indian summer-ish thing, and then we're going to get slammed. But um, some friends of ours harvested a bear the other day. We got some bear fat. And their comment was there was a lot of fat on that bear. So made us all wonder, does the bear know what's coming? Because we're just, I'm not really hearing a lot. Usually we're hearing some rumblings about winter and, you know, who every, you know, everybody's got their opinion. It's going to be a bad winter. It's going to be this, going to be that. I haven't heard much, but the I, bear seems to think that he needs to stay nice and warm. Yeah, I, I think we're just all in denial that winter's ever going to show up. I think we just want to think that, oh... It's just beautiful. Let's just sit in the sunshine and call it good because <laughs> because when it shows up, it can get cold yeah. and uh, you know bring some additional challenges on. Yeah, so. it really can. Yeah. So right along but, those lines, what have you been up to lately? Getting ready for winter. Yep. What do you know. <laughs> Let's see here. What we've we been up to. Well, we uh, put in a retaining wall this year. The beginning of the cellar. You guys might have saw a little bit of that. I did a little video on that. Um, and with that, that actually created a whole lot of space outside of our main crop garden between the house and the main crop. It already has a few fruit trees in it. So it's going to become uh, a perennial, like one of our main perennial production areas. I'm not really food foresty, but uh, it's going to end up with more fruit trees in it. We're going to move all our raspberries out of the main crop, eventually mm -hmm. all our strawberries, get them in there. And so one of the things we're doing to prep the ground, because we, after the retaining wall, we had to grade it out. It's just all dirt, right? And if you follow along with us, uh, you know, bare dirt is not good. We like to keep our our uh, dirt clothed and turn it into soil. So yeah. what we're doing is adding shavings. We have a, access to a lot of wood shavings from a cabinet shop. And so we're spreading those. I've been spreading those out and then getting ready to go and get a whole lot of mycelium, some King's Trephoria, also known as wine caps. And we're going to inoculate those wood shavings. 
that uh, develops a nice biological community, starts to get that going. It actually decomposes the wood shavings, so it helps build soil. Mm -hmm. And and then it gets that soil covered for the winter, so the rain and snow is not pounding on it or eroding it or anything. So, And as a byproduct, we've talked about this a few times, we get mushrooms. And we are really liking getting those mushrooms yep. into the house. We are. I'm a little curious, because this has been the first year I've been real successful at this. And I put them in at the spring. Mm. All the other ones I put in at the fall. So ah, I'm going to ask, okay. but I've been told it's fine. Um, so hopefully that's the case. Because if we do, that'll be a lot of mushrooms. We'll be selling mushrooms next year. There, we'll have a lot we're, of mushrooms. We're hardly keeping up with the ones that are <laughs> coming in right now, which is which is great. Or we'll have to get out and get some other ones. But these these wine caps are just, they're like a workhorse. They yeah. just, they do great. They're easy. Mm. And they will actually convert that those wood shavings into soil. So it's another longer term composting method, but a friend of mine out here has been doing this in his whole property and actually building soil just with wood shavings and uh, you know inoculating them with these wine caps and, the, and then planting in it as he goes along. So I wanna go back and touch on something you just said, and this is gonna be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's interesting because I've been having this conversation with people and I'm starting to call this my theory of the uh, abundance economy. There's, there's a very specific mindset shift you have to undergo when you start having wild abundance that gets created on a well-managed homestead, mm-hmm. right? And I was having this conversation with somebody the other day who um, he wanted to plant a few more types of fruit trees because he liked all these different types of fruit. And his wife just said, no, 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 do not put in any more fruit trees. I'm up to my ears and plums already. I can't handle anymore. I don't want anymore. Well, this fits right into this theory of uh, the abundance economy that at some point you have to switch your mindset. You go from this... I have this little garden in my backyard I and I need enough. to make absolute use of everything that I have, right? Mm-hmm. Not a single little bit of anything is going to go to waste. Not a square inch, not a plant, not a leaf off my chard. It's all going to get used and it's going to get used up well. Same thing with the fruit trees. We're going to harvest every single one of those plums or apples or cherries and we're going to get them into jars somehow or other or get them onto the table. But at some point, you have so many that you realize you're gonna drive yourself insane to be able to try to keep up with that. But not only that, you don't actually need that much in your pantry and in your kitchen. And so there's this, this thing that has to happen where we go, we can produce extravagantly abundant amounts of food and we don't have to use it all, that's okay. It can be there to, you know, hedge against a hard year when we do need it, you can call your neighbors and say, I'm done harvesting. Do you want to come harvest the rest of the plums? You can Mm -hmm. bless somebody else with it. You can put pigs and chickens underneath your fruit trees or turn them loose in the garden and let them be fed on all of that. Mm -hmm. We have to change the mindset though and get to a place where it's like, I don't need it. So therefore I don't need to be trying to grab it all. Right. That, well, that's that is a wonderful perspective, and it ties into just kind of part of the the permaculture ethos or permaculture paradigm, which also ties into sound just economics yeah. in general. And I'll, I'll reverse discuss that. So, in a business, you're always trying to create profit, right? And just don't get too hung up. Everybody's worried about capitalism and and profit and all that. 
it works if it's done well and it's done morally. And mm-hmm. there's a point in that profits. That is the surplus. What we talk about in permaculture is surplus. So we want to take care of the people, we want to take care of the land, and we want surplus. It is that surplus that ultimately allows us to take care of the land and take care of the people and create the cycle. And so we want to see exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. We want to see that abundance, not as a like, oh, no, all right, I'm overwhelmed. Like, okay, great, cool. You can fill up your shelves. Now what do you do? Because now you're feeding back into the system. You're mm-hmm. feeding back into the loop. And that is sound economics. That's also sound people care. Give it away. Sell some of it. Um, like Carolyn's saying, you know, can feed the animals and then convert it into manure. I mean, there's so many possibilities there. And you can... You can use that surplus without an extreme amount of work with building systems, and that's the goal. Because you know what? Not everybody can have enough fruit trees to grow their own fruit. This mm-hmm. just this doesn't work. Right. So somebody's got to grow more of, of one thing. We're talking fruit trees in this yeah. case, and then put it back into the system somewhere else. And that's 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 like exciting stuff. It really is, and it also starts to contribute to things like a barter community where mm-hmm. people, you know, hey, you can come harvest whatever you want of the mushrooms, but will you give me an hour of your labor in the garden, you know, and help me clean up some garden beds? Yeah. The really easy, simple things like that that can go well. So, anyways. There's my rabbit trail for the day. <laughs> I like it. And that is the goal. Really, that's the goal. Not just enough. I think as homesteaders, sometimes we're focused on producing enough for ourselves, you know, and, and that's the goal. We're feeling that urgency, whatever whatever the reasons are, health reasons, whatever it is that we're, we're doing this life, living this life for, um, you know, there is this goal of providing for ourselves. Well, the goal really should be to provide more, to provide that surplus, that profit, that extra and then somehow benefit the environment and yeah. other people with it. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Yeah. But that should really be the goal. Yeah, really and, and then when we hit there, we're not like freaked out. We're like, okay, well, what's the next step? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Like it. Good okay. thinking. What about, well, was that your, what have you been up to? Or is there anything else? That, we that's we didn't what get my to that. mind that's what your has mind been up, up to. to right? <laughs> right now, yeah. We're always thinking about yeah. other things. Well, there's a lot of things going on, though, because there's a ton of harvest. And, yes. and you're kind of overseeing the harvest here. We, we are thinking about abundance right now yeah. a lot in the kitchen. We've got... Uh, grapes coming, coming in, in today. as we speak. There's yes. a, a, a crew, harvesting crew up there. Uh, pulling in the grapes. And it's been a good grape year because we've had a long enough season to actually ripen them. Hopefully, so that's yeah. exciting. Hopefully there you so can. those are going straight into the steam juicer to turn into jelly and to wine yep. and grape juice. We'll probably make some grape juice. But most of the grapes that we have on the property right now, we will change this at some point. Mm-hmm are wine grapes that we inherited when we moved onto the property. So they don't make phenomenal grape juice. They're not like the Concord grape juice, you know, that's so good. But we only have one nice Concord plant, and that has been uh, very uh, rigorously voted on. The family voted and said jelly. (laughs) That's what we want out of the, the Concord grapes. So we're working on that. We're also bringing in uh, the green tomatoes. You get to the point where you just have to say, we're not going to get any more ripe ones. Let's bring them in before we lose the green ones. But we have a lot of really fun things that we're doing with them this year. The um, brand new In the Homestead Kitchen magazine came out last week, the week before. And this this issue is all on green tomatoes. So we're doing green tomato enchilada sauce and going to be getting that set aside for winter. We're going to be doing Mm. a lot of green tomato salsa verdes. We're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff out of it. And um, 
it's kind of exciting to have fun things to put the green tomatoes to and not just feel like, oh, let's stick them all in a box and box ripen them. Well, and if you're in the southern part of the country, this you may not relate to this a whole lot. Yeah. But all of us in the northern half of the country, northern half of the world, you know, this is just a, we just run into this in the season, you know, unless we have some some um, complex and advanced systems right. um, where we're going to have green tomatoes to put up. So check out the magazine. There's a link to that down below. Cool. Yeah, a lot of good ideas there. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I'm really getting excited about, and I got to share with you guys because it's coming, <laughs> is we've been producing a gluten-free bread baking book behind the scenes. And I'm so excited about this. I've been working with a wonderful part of our team here at Homesteading Family, who is a uh, amazing baker and mom who deals with a lot of allergy issues in her household. So she has just mm. developed the most amazing recipes for gluten-free baking because she's really cool. concerned about getting deep nutrition into her family and not just, you know, so many things. When you get into the bla baking, the gluten-free baking world, yeah, you can get these flour substitutes, but a lot of times there's almost no nutrition in them. You're talking potato starch and white, you know, rice flour. And we want to be able to get that good nutrition in. So we've been working together to write a book that is the, uh, how would you say that? Like the companion book to mm -hmm. go with our full master bread baking class. Mm -hmm for gluten-free. So it covers sourdough, it covers regular yeast baking, it covers quick breads, it covers all sorts of things. And it is phenomenal. So I'm getting really excited because I'm actually doing like final edits on it and getting it packaged up. And we've got a designer working on covers and things like that. So it's going to appear and hopefully it's going to appear in a print version where you can actually order a hard printed wow, book. Wow, cool be the first cool. so you know my mind's always racing 20 miles ahead i'm always thinking out there somewhere and i'm like yeah you know what I, there's a lot of people that that have asked for that in sts yes. school of traditional skills of gluten ah, yeah because that's a tough one to crack it is it's a tough nut to crack so yeah um Hmm. I might have to be tapping your resources a little bit. Well, <laughs> very, good. very cool. Speaking of STS, real quick, because yeah. I think this is going to get out in time. Okay. So you guys know Sally Fallon Morell is coming back Ooh. live for a free live training October 27th. And so if you're on the School Traditional Skills email list, you'll definitely get that. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, you might hop on over there because we're going to be doing free trainings every month. But excited to have Sally Fallon back talking about bone broth and really something that's going to be really cool for uh, Thanksgiving, I think. Right. Part of that Are you not telling in. yet? Uh, I wasn't going <laughs> to, but we can. Well, she's going to be talking about how to make really good gravies out of bone broth. Yeah, and it's a healthy, it's a gravy that you can be, you know, you, you can be pretty happy to take your fill on Thanksgiving, which oh, I, I'm a gravy yeah. guy. I love turkey and potatoes with my gravy. So I'm excited about this. And I think a lot of you guys will be too. So, yay, you want to join that free yep. training if you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we better good. move along because we've got a good topic and there's actually a lot to cover here. Sure. And we got to do our question of the day, though. Okay. And this is for you. Okay. Uh, less 84 on a whole year's worth of lard. I love this video and watch lots of your homesteading uploads. I'm wondering if I can make tallow from the fat that has risen to the top of my homemade bone broth I make. Wow, that's like bringing it all together. It really is. <laughs> um, 
And would you have a video on that? I don't think we have a video on that, but I'm sure you can answer that. I, I do not have a video on that, but you can do exactly the process that you saw in this whole year's worth of lard video with that uh, fat that comes off the top. You can also, you know, take your trimmings off your plate when you're having steak mm. and you yep. get a steak that has too much fat on it. Cut some of that off. You know, obviously you need some to leave on there if it's a if good grass-fed grass steak. steak. There's not too much fat, really. But. <laughs> well, cut a little bit off or if you're trimming a roast or something and stick all of those things in a bag of the, in the freezer and then take that with that bone broth cap, the fat that comes off the bone broth, um, and you can render that all down. You do still want to render it and you'll end up with a great tallow, something very, very usable in all your cooking or for turning into soaps or candles or whatever it is you wanna do with the tallow. But just remember, at the point that it comes off that bone broth, it's not rendered, so it needs to be kept in the freezer. It needs to be handled essentially like a raw meat. Mm. You need to freeze it again for any sort of storage. Don't try and stick it in your refrigerator and let it sit there for a few weeks until you have okay. enough. So just build up a bag of it in your freezer and you will be good to go. Very cool. You can do that with any fats too, not just beef fat, just so you know. Um, if you get into a pasture-raised chicken or turkey and it has nice big globs of fat, by all means, pull that off oh, yeah. and set that in there and render it later. Set it in your freezer and render it later. Good, good so, flavors. Yeah. Good gravies right there. Yeah. Thinking about gravy. <laughs> I like gravy. We do other things with our fat and our broth <laughs> besides gravy in case you can't tell. Well, you know, that's why I got to get my plug in because it goes elsewhere and, and uh, it's hard to get enough gravy around here. Ken, I know we've got to get to the topic, but we've also been perfecting the art of using leftover gravy which is a rare thing to have in the house. Oh, yeah. But leftover gravy and turning it into phenomenal soups mm. by adding some more bone broth to it. I and then that last lots night. of good chunks. And, oh, you want to talk about a good soup. That was a good chicken soup. That a was, different, yeah. A little different noodles than we usually have, but yeah. it was excellent. Yeah, we took really, the chicken really and the leftover... It was actually a white um, enchilada sauce that we made. And so it was similar to a gravy, you know, flour thickened. And... Uh, cut that with the bone broth and then added the leftover chicken and all sorts of veggies and some macaroni noodles. And it was phenomenal. Very cool. Okay. All right. On. We better move on because okay. this is a good topic. There's actually a bit to cover here for the homestead. And these are some important things to think about for winter and even a lot of good ideas in here in a, in a world of uncertainty and rising costs that uh, are just good thinking all year, really. Yeah. But for those of us in the northern climates, this is, a lot of this is pretty important. Yeah, and we're going to cover a couple of different areas of the homestead, including the household. So even if you don't have acreage, you don't have a barn, maybe you don't have a garden, this is still going to have some things that you should yep. be thinking about. Matter of fact, we'll start there. Mm -hmm. So getting the homestead ready for winter, but let's dive right into getting the household ready for winter. Yeah, so we have some of the basics there, like, you know, make sure you've got the right clothing right at the beginning of winter, right at fall, get rid of the summer clothing you're not gonna use or, or get it you know, into a bin out of circulation. Make sure everything's washed up real well, store it away and get the winter clothes that you need. I just learned something so exciting that I did not know. Um, you guys notice, I don't know what we're wearing today, but a lot of times we do wear a lot of Carhartt brand clothing around here just because it's made for good, tough workwear. So we do actually mm -hmm. wear a lot of it. Did you know they do repairs for free? 
you can send them in. They'll redo your cuffs, they'll redo your collars, they'll fix your buttons, and they'll fix your zippers for free. Wow. I had no idea. That made me so excited that I was like, yay, <laughs> that's good. So make sure you're looking over all your stuff and getting ready for winter. If that includes sending it in to get fixed for free, do that on the soon side because it is like a six to eight week turnaround or something like that. But will make they, sure you're they, looking through. Will they fix my old Pendleton? I, I don't think they go outside <laughs> no. the Carhartt brand. Man, man, Pendleton <laughs> ought to take a clue. This is like a $300 thing that Carolyn found at the thrift shop for 20 bucks. Solid wool, I love it, but it's it's starting to wear. It's beyond fixing some of the basics. <laughs> the uh, the threadbare part is coming yeah. through. <laughs> so um, so yeah, make sure that you're just dealing with that and and get a little bit ahead. Get what you need for the whole winter for yep. whatever's coming up. Stocking up the pantry. Yeah, we talked about that a lot last week. Just make sure you get your your pantry full on the early side. Your Don't, bulk orders. Especially if you're living a place with winter weather events. We got snowed in for... Oh, good week or more. Week last year? Might have been a little bit longer. And yeah. you know what? We had everything we need and we had a blast. The kids still remember how much fun that was because there wasn't any panic of like, oh, we don't have this or we don't have that. Yep. Make sure you just have what you need to be able to weather whatever's coming your way this winter. And I know we're talking winter, but this stuff's all just good good strategy yeah. all the way around. Teas, really. Yeah, Stock up on teas. Get, get yourself a good stash of the things that make winter lovely for you. If you know, if that's teas that you like to sit and drink by a fire, do that. Uh, you guys know we love farmhouse teas, so I'm getting a little selection of fun ones for myself for the winter to be cool. able to have. But get what you need. Same thing, books and activities for the kids. If you've got kids and they're going to be stuck inside a little bit extra, make sure you have something available for them to do so you don't all go crazy during you know, the yucky parts of winter. Sounds good. Um, don't forget to get some coffee in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Medicine shelf. Get stocked up. Somebody in your house is going to get sick. Like, that's just a pretty good, you know, estimate. Just count on that. Even if you're extremely healthy people, get stocked up now. Because the last thing you want to do is start not feeling well and have to run to the pharmacy or yep. the grocery store. Try to figure out what herb that you, you know, had well, made. Well, and tinctures. Or, if you're in the membership, mm -hmm. go, you know, take a refresher on the herbal medicine cabinet. Get your uh, if you're not, go up. check that out, either the class or the cabinet, and, and get your cabinet filled up with yeah. all your stuff now because you're going to be dealing with those things all winter. Yeah, you might as well just deal with it now when you feel well. Yeah. So Good. same thing, um, you know, make sure you're heating. You've got heating backups. The amount of times we have emergencies that come through this country and people are either freezing or, you know, whatever it is, is it should wake us all up to say, okay, we have our primary source. If the power goes out, how are we going to heat our house? This is just something we should all be thinking about as responsible adults. Well, and hopefully, and I know a lot of people don't, but if you can, have wood, have wood heat. Mm -hmm. We primarily heat with wood. We do 90% of our heating with wood, um, but we do have a central unit and that keeps the house from getting a little too cool at night. Mm -hmm. And we could do without it, but, you know, it, it keeps things up. Some of you, that's what you've got. And like Carolyn's saying, make sure you have a backup. You get into, you know, and this just gets into backup power or maybe wood heat is your backup if that's what it needs to be. That's fine and that's good. Um, maybe you have some space heaters in case the unit goes out, you know, your central unit goes out. Redundancy is always good and it's not good to be cold. That makes life a hard to get through and... 
Um, honestly, you know, as we saw in Texas, what, two years ago, I think? I think it was last year. But, um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of different things that can happen. And I think we're facing a time where that's more the reality. More events like that are going to occur. So whatever kind of system is your daily norm, have backups for it and have alternatives for it. Start mm-hmm. developing uh, redundant systems to help in the situations. Because, you know, it's just like those people in Texas would have never thought that was going to happen. And we knew some people there and it was tough. Very, very tough for some folks. Yeah. So yeah, make sure you're thinking about the what ifs and just running them through your mind. Now backups you have, I mean, we're talking kind of backups here. So what are you meaning by other system backups? You know, batteries, what do you need? What, what, uh, again, you kind of have to think about your area. I'd love to be able to give you this nice tidy list of what you need. Um, If it's water, Make sure you have water. For some of us, water's not the problem in the middle of a winter storm. Yeah, but a lot of people are on municipal water. And so, yes, that is power dependent. Mm -hmm. And you need backups. You just want to be aware that you, you know, get in a situation for yourself and your household that you can weather the storm. (laughs) Okay, we'll put it that way. Because winter brings us a lot of storms, even on a normal winter you know, and this winter has a couple of little hiccups that are kind of lining up yeah. in uh, the broader world view. And so it doesn't hurt to yeah. be a little better prepared. Quick water strategy, just real quick, because a lot of people don't even know where to go with that. Yeah. You know, and so you should have at least a gallon per day per person for drinking water available. Okay. As a, as a bare minimum, yeah. you know, for, you know, a week at least is a, is a starting point if you have to start somewhere. I think the average person in a in a normal functioning household uses about 30 gallons a day. That's going to be pretty hard to store, so you're going to cut down your use if you're in that situation. Yeah. But still, you'd be shooting at least 5 to 10 gallons a day for so many days. Start where you can. Start with that minimal so everybody has water to drink, to cook with, and then build from there. But um, So that gives you a starting place. I mean, there's a lot of strategy. That's not what this show is about. But I wanted to give people just, if they're thinking about this, going, oh, wow, well, where do I even start? Yeah. Start with that one gallon a day per person for at least seven days and then build from there so that you have drinkable water and then you could even have some non-potable for flushing toilets and, and doing things like that. Absolutely. So don't forget your animals in all of that planning. If you have a dog, we all know you're going to give yep. your dog some amount of your water and not watch the dog die of dehydration. So just make sure you're planning yeah. that. Well, and if you've got other animals, how are yeah. they getting water, you right. know, and what do you need? You need a storage tank, you know, with the 500 gallons or 1,000 gallons or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Okay, but now that we have kind of the basics on the household mm-hmm. taken care of, we yep. need to move out on the property because there's quite a bit to do to get the barn and the livestock all ready for winter. There, There is, and I want to touch on one here that's not on the list yet, and that is winterizing. Besides the stocking up, there's the winterizing the farm and getting ready to shut down your water systems, drain your hoses, right. take your sprinklers down. And again, this is assuming you're in colder climates. This is a little easier if you're in a southern climate um, where you don't have as much freeze. But generally, we want to be shutting our systems down. If you've got water systems that go out in the pasture like we put in this year, you're draining those, you're emptying them, you're putting your hoses up somewhere away under roof so they're not getting damaged through the, the freeze and the thaw, thaw and being full and, and all that. That actually, well, you might say, well, that's not really a big deal. It actually reduces the life of the hoses. And mm-hmm. so you're costing yourself money there. Um, and just having that system to deal with cold weather and water because you still need water to your animals. So that's a big topic, but make sure you're thinking that through because that's um, 
going to cause you a lot of frustration. If you don't have that I, and I think that it goes to a very um, basic principle, but one that's really o easy to overlook, especially if you get an unexpected early snow, if you live in a snow place. Get your tools picked up and put under cover, right? Well, put away, you know, <laughs> a lot of your weed whackers, things like that. You should drain the fuel, run the fuel out of the carburetor. I mean, there's so many directions we could go. I'm realizing, wow, we could do a much longer show here. But, yeah, that equipment that you're not going to use, you know, get the fuel out of it, especially those small engines, those two-cycle engines. They don't like sitting in fuel. Mm -hmm. um, put them up, put them away. You know, all your tools, your hand tools, get everything kind of put away, tucked in, little maintenance done on them so they're ready to go for you in the spring. Last thing you need to do is be maintaining a ton of stuff in the spring. First thing in or the at spring. least get it put up and then have a plan during the winter to, you know, then go through them and, and do that. That works as well. So out with the animals, mm -hmm. we need to be thinking about a few other things. Yeah, feed. Stock up on your feed. You don't want to have to be running out in a snowstorm. Uh, because you got low on hay and you knew it was coming and then, you know, somebody had to go to the doctor and work went late and then all of a sudden your animals don't have feed and there's a foot of snow on the ground. And that's exactly how it happens. And that is exactly <laughs> how it happens. We've been there. We've done it. And then you can't get a hold of the guy with the hay. So stock up. Do your best to get well ahead. You know, we realize a lot of people are stepping into this life. You can't just go buy a winter's worth of hay. That should be the goal. But, you know, start with at least a week, move up to a month if you can, and then have a plan to be replacing whatever your cycle is before it runs out, you know, well before it runs out. Um, that will help a lot. Okay, so right along with the feed, we've got the bedding in the barn. Right, and the bedding is really, really important. Yeah. And Joel Salatin has a rule. If you can smell something not right in your barn, like it stinks, I mean, there's a little bit of barn smell no matter what. But if it doesn't smell good, that is mismanagement. That means we are not managing well. And the key to managing animals when you have to bring them in close and tight and under roof is carbon. And what we're talking about is bedding. Carbon, wood shavings, wood chips are the best. Hay certainly works. Um, straw. Straw, yeah. yeah. Th those things work, but wood shavings are the best. And so you need to have a plan to be adding to that over the winter. You may need a plan, you know, to move some of it out during the winter and pile it so that it can compost. But you need a plan and you want to have that bedding on hand. So those of you that are starting to get into animals and spaces and if you're going into your first winter or second, really, really important to have plenty of carbon there because it's just, in our environment, we can't help but consolidate the animals and bring them in together. So they've got to have that, what we call deep bedding, working towards that to deal with all of the waste. And, you know, I want to say something about creating systems because I think a lot of times we look at a problem and we say... That's just the way it is, right? Mud is a big one that comes to mind when we're talking about animals in mm -hmm. winter season. It's just the way it is. Don't get too caught up in the it's just the way it is thinking. Start thinking creatively about how, how do we deal with this? How do we create a system that helps us to get the animals out of the mud or to reduce the mud load in some areas. Mm -hmm. I know we're working towards that in some areas because there are these kind of swing seasons of spring and fall, fall and spring at this mm -hmm. point where, you know, it does, it gets muddy before it gets frozen. Well, and it can get really, really muddy if you have a lot of animals in a small space and you don't mm -hmm. have a lot of dry roof, you know, under roof space for them, which happens. 
but you can plan for some of that. Yeah. You can plan to, this is a little bit bigger and this is where this, you got to solve the situation where you're at right now, right. but that's where you don't want to get into, well, this is just the way it is. So I'm working on this, you know, just solving this the way it is. Now, what can you do to make improvements over time so that you're moving away from that problem and you're, and you're creating solutions? So, you know, it may take some little bit of minor earthworks to drain water off a mm-hmm. roof gutter so that that's, you know, that's gone. Um, all of those different things go into uh, improving so you're not fighting the same situation over and over. So just make sure you're always thinking about how you can improve the, improve the working situation that you're in. You know, maybe it's as simple as as soon as you bring your hay in, spreading it out in front of each of the animal stalls so that it's easier for you to do your chores every day mm-hmm. and you're doing all the work kind of in one moment and then it's really easy just to throw hay. Um, maybe it's something as advanced as we really need to build a barn addition. We're doing that so we have some more roof space for animals in the winter. But always be at least processing what you can do to upgrade your system. And that's how you get to a place where your homestead becomes easier, Yeah, you know, and more efficient and not just the same old exhausting scramble year after year, dealing with the mud, dealing with the frozen water. It becomes challenging sometimes in the middle of winter. Well, and I know we're going in on this one because, again, this is another one we could spend a lot of time on. But be willing to take steps. And I think about the barn. You know, the way my mind works, okay, I need a barn. All right, I'm going to save up to build a full barn. Well, wait a minute. Can I come back and build a roof and some posts and beams that's going to be a barn one day and get that done one year? Mm. You know, or even part of one. Maybe I can't even, I don't have enough money to build the whole thing, but I can build a section that gets some stuff under roof, gets the animals dried out. Um, and so sometimes you've got to tackle it. That's the reality. We understand that, you know, we don't all have the resources. We haven't. And so you've got to do it a piece at a time. You don't have to wait until you can build a full barn. You can build it in sections. And so that kind of thinking can apply to a lot of different areas. If you live in an area that gets dark in the winter, lighting out in the barn just works wonders. So, so helpful. (laughs) We were a little slow. We've got, we, when we bought this property five years, it had a nice big barn and, um, but it didn't have any lighting in it. And, you know, it was like, kind of looking back, it was like, wow, that should have been like one of the first things we did because we have the, the animals are in the barn five to six months out of the year close to it. And it's dark. It's oh, dark. <laughs> for morning chores and evening chores for a lot of that time. And so we're dealing with headlamps or we're having a little spotlight here and there. And really it was, it was a few, you know, LED lights and a day's work to light that place up well, because we did have electricity to it. Right. And we waited like three years to do that. And sometimes you just kind of like, hello, Uh, you know. It's one of those really easy upgrades that will really make a difference in your daily life in the barn. (laughs) Water systems is another one. Get making sure you know how you're going to handle water, especially in freezing weather Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to get water central to wherever your animals are. And that's the other thing. I mean, this is bigger planning. Try to get your animals central. Yeah. Especially the colder and and more snowy you are. Right. Try not to have them spread out in winter. Try to get them to one place. Your feed's all close. You know, one roof or at least they're close to each other. And um, have a watering plan to have, you know, non-frozen water, which usually requires a hose, hose bib, mm-hmm. a frost-free hose bib down in the ground. And then a plan for your hoses to um, drain them out so you don't come That's out good. in the mornings and have frozen hoses. That... We spent a lot of time with butane torches and all kinds (laughs) of different things, defrosting hoses that didn't get drained well. 
Well, we were going to jump into winterizing your garden and getting the garden ready, but I think that we're already getting to a long one. So let's put that off. We'll talk about that next week and because I think there's actually a lot to talk about in getting your gardens ready for winter because if you do it the right way, you really save yourself a lot of time on the spring side. Spring, yeah, much easier and you can even be improving the health of your soil in that process. Yeah. So, and we're actually even trying something new this year that we'll let you in on next week when we talk about that at the pantry chat. So, sounds good. It's been great <laughs> hanging with you guys. Get ready good for to winter. Talk to you. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.